Hi, this is Greg Anderson, and this is the Living in Carver County podcast. It's an insider's conversation with the people who make Carver County the best place to live, work, and raise a family. Um, my guest today is a friend who you probably have seen zipping around um, for years uh, in a little yellow beetle, you know, running off to various job sites and things. Um, he's, he's somebody that I've gotten an opportunity to know for the last couple of years at a deeper level, but somebody that I'd met over time as because he would was a frequent guest speaker at various events because of his extensive knowledge about uh, horticulture, landscaping, and uh, uh, exterior design. So my guest is Corey Whitmer. Corey, Corey is, a, uh, uh, is with Mustard Seed. Um, it's the former Halla uh, Garden Center over in, uh, in Chanhassen. And uh, Corey, I'm excited to dig into some of the things I, you think you're kind of, Cindy said, you'd be like the You'll be like the, uh, you'll be like Belinda and uh, uh, what's his name <laughs> for Carver, uh, Bobby Jensen for Carver County. So thanks for agreeing to be on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So what I'd like to do, I always like to start off with you, people just kind of getting a feel for who you are, you know, where'd you grow up and you know, what is it that in your life journey that got you to this point? Well, I grew up in Illinois um, in the town called the Quad Cities Bowling, which was what I was in. So I was on the Illinois side. Um, I grew up and my chore as a kid was taking care of about a quarter acre garden. Um, so I was out there pulling weeds every day in water when my brother sat on the riding lawnmower and mowed the grass. Um, so I started off, you know, really loving gardening from a young age and uh, I've kept up with it my whole life now. So went to college at Eastern Illinois, studied botany and environmental biology. Um, while I was in college, I worked in a nursery as a grower as a nursery and uh, was growing plants, fell in love with it, hopped around a little bit, and then uh, moved to Minneapolis to come work at Howard Nursery back in 2000. And then uh, started up the mustard seed uh, three years later in November 19th of 2003, and been running with that ever since. Now, mustard seed's got a, you know, there's an owner, there's been an ownership change with mustard seed. But for people who don't know, Halla Nursery was Don Halla and then his son, Mark, and then they kind of on again, off again, and the connections. And <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, then two years ago, two years ago, um, Hagen Lawn and Landscaping um, ended up making a, a great offer for the whole business. I wanted to run his out of here and uh, wanted to keep the key people on, keep running the business because he runs a landscape company also. So he didn't want the responsibilities, but he wanted the property. So uh, yeah, we ended up selling to him and uh, it's been great. It's going wonderful ever since. Okay. And for people who don't know, can explain about what, where the garden center is and you know, yeah. what, basically what's involved there. We're basically on 101 <laughs> and Pioneer Trail, um, right on the Chaska-Chan border. Um, right before you start to go down the hill, you'll see the Howland, you'll see the mustard seed nursery sign right there on the corner. Um, beautiful new road that just opened up last fall out front for us too. So looking forward to a really good spring. Yeah, you guys kind of survived the, the year and a half of road construction. It was pretty, a little bit tricky to get in there. It was very tricky. It was, it seemed like every appointment I had when it was closed to the north, all my appointments were north. When it was closed to the south, all my appointments were south. So we, we managed through it and uh, had a great season doing it. So now the, it's beyond just the garden center. I mean, the garden center is kind of like retail, right? But yep. you guys have a big, you know, commercial and residential um, installation division as well, right? Yeah, that's our, that's our bread and butter, actually. We uh, we have a bunch of install crews um, with the mustard seed and then with Hagen Lawn Landscaping. Um, a lot of his work is all barge work on Lake Minnetonka. Um, our crews are out right now at, you know, negative degree temperatures um, doing shoreline work because ice got thick enough. So 
he's running running those guys good, and you know we'll start back up here again and get a bunch more crews going. How big is the operation, if you don't mind my asking? I mean, how many how many employees do you have? And we get up to about fifty five employees during the season. Okay. So, and we'd like to get up to more more than that if we can. Just the whole thing is hiring right now. Is trying to get enough employees to do the work that we have. Um, so we're hiring pretty much every position out there right now, from designers to foremen to project managers to some of the CDL license, all the way down to garden center people for the um, garden center. So those can be high school kids that want to work one day a week or people, um, avid gardeners that want to come in and, you know, work a couple of days here and there and get discounts on plant material and, uh, you know, get to work outside in the sun. When do you need people? I mean, are you looking for people like right now or is, when, when does your season actually start? Um, this year, um, it never really slowed down. It just kept going all winter long. Um, the retail side usually starts up about March 1st, but uh, we started this week growing because we grow a majority of our plants right, right here in-house. Um, so we'll be we'll be growing. So our season's going right now. Okay. So you need people. I mean, somebody if somebody's looking for a job, they could come over and, I mean, what does that look like? They come in and fill out an application. They do it online or... Yeah, you can do it online on our website's the easiest way, but you can come in and get a paper copy if you like the old paper copy forms. Um, and then, yeah, we just sit down and do an interview, see if it's a fit for you and a fit for us, and then uh, start up as soon as we can and uh, get rolling. Okay. So you mentioned that, you know, you, you guys got a lot of seeds and stuff going. Is that it, the majority of the product that you have, I mean, what does that look like? What's the, what's the influx? Everybody keeps talking about, I guess, where I'm going with that question, and it was it's so far not a great start to my question, <laughs> but uh, everybody's talking about supply shortages, right? So, you know, uh, you know, the um, supply chain uh, issues, you know, if you're growing your own plants, is that something you guys are dealing with at some fashion or, you know, what does it look like? Do you, is it flowers and things that you grow or small plants, perennials? I mean, obviously you've got mature trees. I mean, do you have, um, do you have like offsite uh, tree farms and things, or do you buy those or how does that, what does that look like? Yeah, we order all the trees in and stuff. Those are just a really long investment for us. So we, uh, we order the trees in, this year, we're growing more shrubs than ever because of the supply shortage. We said, well, if we can't get them fully grown, then we'll grow them out and have bigger shrubs. Um, so we kind of had to do a little bit more growing on that side. And then we'll grow majority of our perennials and annuals. We'll grow in-house. Um, and yeah, we'll just we basically fill our greenhouse up, stack it as high as we can, and uh, yeah, get to work out in the sun and, uh, you know, two degrees outside, 70 degrees inside, and beautiful sunny day. So it's kind of a nice time of the year for us. Okay. <clears throat> so you need workers. That's kind of an ask. Um, I, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, you mentioned, you and I've talked offline that, uh, you know, this, you said it never slowed down. So on some of the installs and things, you know, when are you, so if somebody, for example, was buying, closing on a brand new house, maybe a winter construction, you know, what would they be looking at right now from a installation standpoint? How far out are you guys coming into the season? We're going to be probably by the time the season gets rolling, we'll probably be booked out until it varies every year. Cause some years we get out April 1st, we're out working. Some years we don't get out till after May. Um, but we're probably about a month out from where we start right now for jobs, but that's changing every day. So, but we're about a month out. You mean a month out from the first time you're able to start turning dirt. Yeah. When we get, whenever the ground thaws and we can get our trucks out, then yeah, we're about a month out from there. Okay. All right. So that's not too bad. No. Okay. No, if we, if we can get enough people too, um, we have experienced foremen 
we just need the, the laborers underneath them so we can easily get up to another crew and cut that in half if we uh, can find the employees for it. Okay. I remember when we first moved to Chaska, <clears throat> my next door neighbor went over and had a design put together. And then there was, uh, you know, there was a fee for him to put the design together. And then if he ended up using you guys to do the installation, then that was credited back. If not, he, he owned the design and then he was just buying materials from you and then kind of doing a DIY. Is that something that, is that a service that you still offer? Or? That's a service we still offer. Yeah. We still offer the design. If they just want us to do a design form, still offer it. Those, um, you know, when we're doing those, those are usually not during the April, May. Usually we're doing designs April, May for jobs that we're going to install because mm -hmm. that's where we actually make our, make our good living, but we still want to help be able to help people out. We do have uh, some some people that have some design experience in the garden center. So a lot of times when people are just doing small projects, they can just bring in a picture of the front of their house. And then we have plenty of staff that can, you know, guide them through the best selections for their house. You know, they need to know things like if there's, you know, which way the house faces and stuff like that. But a few minor questions and uh, they can help you out with the design for like, you know, a smaller project anyhow. So. Right. But I mean, as we're recording this, it's early February. So potentially somebody, let's say that somebody had a winter, you know, a winter close, they could come to you at least between now and the time where you really get rolling and have something, you know, have a concept put together that they could work off of. Yes, most definitely. We're working on a lot of those right now that are all people that are, you know, going to do projects next year, either themselves or, you know, have us install it. But yeah, it's a lot of what we're doing right now is people that are you know, wanting to get ready for graduation parties or just want to change something. So yeah, we're still out there walking people's yards at, you know, seven below and 14 below. And it's, it's interesting, you know, it's, it's a different kind of season right now than it has been in the past. You know, I've been in this for over 30 years now and I've never seen anything like the last two years of uh, just how many people want to do landscaping. People are stuck in their house, stuff like that. They really just want to invest into the property and uh, you know, luckily we're here and able to help them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it makes sense if you think about it, do people been, you know, kind of cooped up at home. And so then they start noticing things, maybe they're less occupied with, you know, what in the past, maybe entertainment or just busyness. And, and yeah. frankly, home values are up. So they've got equity, their stock markets up, they feel more, you know, they feel more secure about things. So they're willing to kind of invest back into their home. I, we see that a lot, you know, uh, from my end as well. But yeah. Yeah, so also hearing a lot of things like, you know, we were going to redo a kitchen remodel. We we're going to do a basement finish, but we really don't want people in our house yet. So we decided to put that money into the landscape. So good for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's always good. It's Corey's world. We're just living in it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so along those lines for the people who don't get, I mean, one of the, one of the things I notice is, you know, people that don't get professional advice, you know, when they do their landscaping, you know, they'll yeah. do things like plant arborvitae too close to the house. And in a few years, it's a big mess because they're hitting the soffit oh. and curling out and, you know, things. Are there sort of just some, like, do you have like a couple quick things that you can think of offhand that sort of I like, okay, if you're not going to hire, you should hire us. But if you're not, at least don't do these three things. Yeah. Yeah. I, as soon as you started that question, I had about 30 things pop in my head. <laughs> um one of my biggest pet peeves, which is not really totally about the landscaping, but is like people with their yards. I see people out there every spring raking their yards and the, the yard's still dead. It's not alive yet. It's still dormant state. They're out there raking it. Well, grass puts out little roots and loses about a third of its roots every year because of the Minnesota winters. 
Um, so if you go out there and rake it, the grass is trying to put out these little baby roots and they're just ripping them out, and which leaves for areas for weed seeds to grow. So they're actually, by raking their lawn that early the season, they're actually increasing the kind of weeds in their yard and making their yard look worse. And I, I see it continuously. I mean, really, I always say it's, it's at least two times a mowing before you want to rake your yard. That's also so it doesn't damage the grass, but also if you have any winter funguses, you rake in that yard, it spreads that fungus out your whole yard and just makes your yard look terrible. So don't rake your yard until you mowed it twice. <laughs> Um, I remember that from you talking. We had a when we first moved into town, we uh, we had a neighbor and everyone on the street, not just me, like it wasn't even my name. It wasn't my idea. They all called her the the yard Nazi, like from the old Seinfeld, you know, with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, shit, there was snow still in the yard and she's yep. out there just raking to beat the band, you know, and then chemicals and seed and, you know, just it was just you know, just this like relentless, um, you know, pouring into this yard. And it's like, you know, if you, and I remember you saying, you know, if you just hold off a little bit, you know, nature kind of has a good way of sort of replenishing the, the gas, but so beyond like getting out there, you know, keep your damn rakes in the garage and getting out there too early. What are some of the other big mistakes that you notice from your perspective? Um, people with their pre-emergence in their beds, like praying and stuff like that to keep your weeds down, praying will keep down about 80, 85% of your weeds if you put it down at the right time of the year. I see people putting that down when there's still snow on the ground. I see people putting that down in late May. So you've already missed the germination rate for most of your seeds, most of your weeds. So your weeds are going to still keep coming up. And they're like, this preen doesn't work. This crabgrass control doesn't work. Well, it's because they're putting it down at the wrong time. So they're spending all this money trying to keep the weeds down and it doesn't work. They keep doing it every year. Don't ask why it doesn't work. When you want to put down a pre-emergent, Weed seeds germinate between 55 degrees soil temperature and 57 degrees soil temperature. You can get a cool thermometer to do that. But if you look at lilacs, lilacs will always start blooming about 56 to 57 degrees. So as soon as you see a lilac bud start to swell and open, that is the optimum time to put down any kind of um, crabgrass control, pre-emergence on the, on the landscape beds, everything. So just look for the lilacs to start to bloom and that's the perfect time. You'll have great success with that product. And that's usually like mid to like second or third week in May typically is lilac time, isn't it? I mean, ballpark in a, in a normal year. Pretty close to that. Um, again, it's one of those things that's all temperature variant. So it's right, right, right. But how things warm up. But yeah, usually you're looking at the, the first week of May is usually a, a pretty good time. But you want to make sure that it's not getting too warm too quick. So if, if it's too warm too early, then the seeds are already going to germinate. And when you put this pre-emergent down, that just stops the seed from germinating. It doesn't anything to do with that seeds already germinated. It's still going to come up. So, I mean, I think that's a big one um, that I see okay. people just waste a lot of money on. Okay. Um, so keep your rake in time, temp, you know, just take in. I'm assuming you can just get like a, what, a regular thermostat or, a, or th you know, like a regular thermometer in the soil or does that work? You, you can. Um, I personally, myself, I don't do that because it just takes time. When I'm driving around, I see lilacs all over the place. So I can just look over and go, okay, it's getting ready to bloom. Let's go out and do our maintenance customers and we'll, our maintenance crew will go out and hit, you know, <clears throat> 10 houses in a day if they're lucky, if they're all close by. But we'll hit five to 10 houses in a day, put all the pre-emergent down for them. And then uh, yeah, start going into the weeding process and makes it that much easier for our maintenance crews because we've already got it down at the right time. So Nice. Okay. Yeah. Anything else? Um, you said uh, 30. You said 30. Yeah. I'm not going to hold you to 30, but you know, four or five, I think would be helpful for people that are listening. Burlap and evergreens over the wintertime 
is absolutely ridiculous. Um, for one, if you put a, if you have to put burlap around your evergreen over the winter time to protect it, you pick the wrong plant to put in that area. Plain and simple. Um, when you put burlap on the evergreen, what it actually does in a warm day in the middle of winter time, it keeps the plant warmer, so the sap starts flowing in there. And then when it gets cold at night, the sap freezes and ruptures the cell wall. So that's why you see a lot of evergreens dead. And by putting burlap on it, you're actually making it worse than if you didn't put burlap on it. Um, you can use a product like Wilt Proof, Wilt Stop, which is like a wax spray spray on it. Okay. That works really well because it doesn't make the evergreen any warmer, um, but it protects the needles from losing any moisture. So do something like that. Don't put burlap on it. For one, burlap looks ugly on your landscape. And for two, it's actually worse for your plant. So why do that? Um, sure, sure. And it, I mean, it's a hell of a lot of work too. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Um, oh, it, grass seed in the spring of the year. Um, that's another one that I, that I have issues with too. Grass normally in nature flowers and seeds in the fall of the year. So that August, September is when you should be putting your grass seed down. People put grass seed down and they're using the pre-emergent cycle or they're using the fertilizer, you know, schedule for their lawn, they're actually killing a lot of that seed off. If you're using a pre-emergent your lawn for weed control, that's also stopping the seeds from grass to germinate. Um, people are doing that continuously. And it's like, you know, I don't have an excellent lawn. And then you talk to them for a little bit, you could figure it out pretty quickly what they're doing wrong. And it's just, it's all a timing thing. Um, you know, if you're going to be using fertilizer and pre-emergence and, you know, crabgrass control, you can't use grass seed at the same time. That's why you don't use fertilizer in July when it's hot. And it gives you enough time for the nutrients and weed and feed and stuff to be out of the lawn before you start seeding again in August. Okay. So uh, you mentioned, you know, time of the year, that's come, that's kind of a reoccurring theme here. So right now, what should people be doing? I, I, I'll give you an example, a question that I had. I've got a house that I, I think, you know, I, I bought this house that we're fixing up that we're going to sell. And there's this shrub and I don't know, it's some type of deciduous shrub. I don't really know what it was because I never saw it with leaves on. And I'm not that, um, you know, astute to recognize patterns and know what it is, but it's like kind of hanging over the sidewalk. So you kind of have to walk around and you can't really get on the sidewalk. It's maybe, I don't know, two and a half, three feet wide and maybe three nice. feet high. Um, can you prune during when the, in a dormant season or is that generally is, not recommended? For deciduous things that lose their leaves, this is the perfect time to do it. Um, with the exception of being crab apples for Scythia, azaleas, rhododendrons, and magnolias, everything else can be pruned right now. You can do those ones I just mentioned, but they set bud in the fall of the year. So if you prune them now, oh, yeah, but you'll, have a, the, you'll have a dud year. You have a dud year, yeah. Um, and unless you don't care about that and it's really out of control, then you can prune it back. But yeah, some of those you just won't get any flowers on if you prune them, you know, anywhere from the fall till now. So, but I would say it's probably 95% of the plants. This is the ideal time to prune is when they're dormant. Okay. Uh, what about trees? Trees, again, same thing with trees. Yeah, this is perfect time of tree treating them. A big one with trees is uh, like birch trees will have a tendency to lose a lot of sap if you prune them in the summertime. So, <coughs> excuse me. So you don't want to prune those in the summertime. But then like oak trees too, there's a disease that hits oak trees fresh cuts. So the only time you ever prune an oak tree is in the wintertime. Don't ever prune a branch off in the summertime because that fresh cut is what the bugs actually crawl into or the disease penetrates into and then kills your oak tree or at least damages your oak tree and costs you a lot of money to get on a treatment plan to keep treating your oak to get it healthy again. So yeah. can you actually get it healthy or is it just like ongoing triage or can you actually get it back to where you 
undone the damage or are you just at that point just damage control? It depends on how bad, how quick you notice it. If you notice it really early, most things you can kind of, you know, react to and get them back to a healthy state. If you don't notice it right away and someone else notices, like an arborist notices big branches dead out of the top, sometimes it's too far gone for it. But uh, most of the time you spot it early. And a lot of that is just observation. You know, if you notice the section doesn't leaf out, there's a reason it didn't leaf out. You should figure out what that reason is and treat it as quick as possible. Okay. And then what about pine trees or evergreens? Evergreens, a lot of times evergreens, you want to prune them when they're candling out. So when they're actively growing, um, but you don't want to do it in the heat of the summer, but when they first start growing in the spring of the year, that's a great time for evergreens. Um, and most of your evergreens, there's most of your evergreens, I would say you can prune just about any time except for the heat of the summer. Um, yeah, except for maybe hemp blocks, but yeah, most of the time you can prune everything except for the heat of the summer. So, okay. I, we're in a neighborhood that's a little bit, we're probably, our neighborhood's 30 some years old. And so yeah. a lot of the, you know, Austrian pines or the, uh, the blue spruce and things that are planted, you know, they're starting to get that real, they're getting tall and kind of gangly. And then yeah. what you're seeing is that sort of the, you know, the, the dying of the underbrush. Um, is there anything you can do about, is that, what is that, what is causing that? And is there anything you can do about it? Is it just, is, or is that just like the beginning signs of terminal cancer? In simple terms, I can get really technical, but um, it's a fungus on the blue spruce, especially, that are killing it from the bottom side up. And the fungus is something that we didn't know about. I used a lot of blue spruce back in the day, but in Minnesota, at least this part of Minnesota, it's farther south, it's not as bad. But uh, the fungus kills from the bottom up. Once you get it in there, that one is one that's terminal, but you can slow it down by fertilizing your tree and keeping your tree as healthy as possible to fight it but you will still eventually lose branches. That's why when you drive around town, any of the Colorado blue spruce that you see that are about 20 years old, so about you know 18 to 25 foot tall, they're all losing their bottom branches. It's just a matter of time for all those. I mean, again, we didn't know anything about it when we first started using blue spruce up here. Then, you know, so we use a lot of them because they're a beautiful looking tree. But 20 years later, we start seeing this and it's like, we've already used thousands and thousands of them. Yeah, and so yeah, like my yard looks like the Lorax lives here, you know, <laughs> get, start yeah. getting those Dr. Seuss trees where they're coming up from the bottom. Yep. Uh, you were mentioning about pruning the evergreens in the in the spring. And I was thinking back, I kind of had a little thing pop in my head when I was in high school, the biology teacher had a, a Christmas tree farm. And so in the spring, we could get extra credit if we went out and shaped the Christmas trees. So yeah. And, you know, and the drinking age was 18 back then. It was just the <laughs> 70s. So we would stop and we'd get a case of beer. And he had a bunch of teenagers with these big machetes going around whacking on these trees. Nope. And, nope. You know, and just sort of spring shaping them so that they were, you know, they'd be able to sell them as Christmas trees in the fall. And yeah, yeah. yeah it's amazing to watch some of those videos of the professional ones that are doing that. And they're, you know, it's 10 seconds on a tree and they got it all pruned and shaped and drawn to the next one. It's like all day long, every day for a month or so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a redneck version of, you know, of, uh, of, uh, you know, one of those uh, Saudi movies with the guys with the swords. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So we kind of cut, co we covered a lot of ground in a pretty short amount of time. I really, I appreciate that. Um, so what other, you know, what are some of the things that you see as trends? You know, I mean, I know in the past, you know, like offline, you've talked about, you know, collection ponds and, and, uh, 
Yeah. And, you know, it, you helped us, uh, you know, with a butterfly garden. And I mean, are there some things that are sort of outside the scope of what people are thinking about, you know, the yeah, traditional not. river birch on the corner, a couple of arborvitas in the front, <laughs> maybe throw a few hostas in. Um, yeah. yeah. You kind of mentioned some of the big ones, actually, um, land of 10,000 lakes, which you know, I think there's probably more than that now, because we put in a few ponds for people, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, Rain gardens are huge right now. I mean, pretty much every city or every county is offering some kind of tax incentive or some kind of funding for rain gardens. They want to protect the lakes. And a rain garden, basically what it does is it filters the runoff from roads, runoff from rooftops, runoff from parking lots. And it filters the water out before it gets back into our natural resources um, and really just helps to keep the our lakes a lot cleaner. So rain gardens are huge. Um, let's stay on let's stay on rain gardens I, when you talk about a rain garden I, I mean can you give somebody like a verbal uh, create a, a picture of what that looks like are you talking about some like a little low area in the corner of your lot are you talking about like you know I, sometimes I think people think of like uh you know neighborhood stormwater ponds you know where it's basically would need to be some kind of collaborative thing between eight houses in the low area or, and what, yeah. what do you talk about scale and scope on something like that it, the size of the rain gardens vary a bit on how much surface water you're getting. And if you're getting water off the road, they're usually a little bit bigger. But what a rain garden is, is basically a small divot in the in the yard or in the landscape, not usually at the lowest point, but usually where the water runs through. Um, and it usually will, it usually is a divot about eight inches, six to eight inches deep, depending on your soil type. And then it looks just like a flower garden. So the average person looks at it, it's just going to say, wow, that's a beautiful flower garden. And it is a beautiful flower garden, but it's actually when you put the rain garden in again a third of your roots on perennials and stuff are going to die every year so it produces these little like i'll call them like little straws going down on the ground when the root dies so it lets the water percolate in to the rain garden rain garden holds it for the rain garden shouldn't hold water for more than 24 hours if it is it's designed wrong or not big enough but so you're not talking you're not talking about like koi pond type things in people no i'm talking i'm talking just like more like a flower bed um I would say probably the majority of ones, other than there's a really big one I'm doing, the majority of ones just look like a flower garden. Um, okay. Sometimes you have to go a little bit deeper if it's like a really clay soil, and then it looks like a little bit of a, you could notice a divot a little bit more, but once they fill in, they're just a dense flower garden, so. And then do they, can you, can they grow in a shaded area or do they have to be in a? No, you can do shade, you can do sun, you can do just about any kind of, kind of combination. Um, and it's it's just a super good thing for the environment and super good thing for our for our waters and our lakes around here. So, okay, what type of plants in, in a shaded area or in a in an area like that that's wet? Is it is there a specific type of plant that's more advantageous or? Yeah, there is. There's quite a few actually, though. And a lot of times we stick a lot more with natives um, because natives a lot of the hybrid model um, species they don't have the deeper root systems like the natives do. Some of the natives will have roots that shoot down, you know, that eight, 10 foot range down into the ground. So it really lets the water percolate down in and get filtered out a lot better than a lot of your, your model varieties. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, mostly it's a lot of native plants and you want plants that handle both water and dryness because they will, the, the rain garden fills up and then within 24 hours, it drains back down again. So it sits in water for a day. And then most of the time it's gonna be sitting dry unless we get a lot of rain. Okay. All right. So, um, all right. I think I get it. So it basically it's just sort of like a, a filter. Yeah, exactly. As water's moving through. Exactly. Yeah. That's it, basically what it is. It's a natural filter for your water. So 
Okay. Water going water going in, you know, could have oil or whatever kind of residues on it. And by the time the water goes back into the ground or into the lake, um, then it's all filtered out and it's cleaner than the water that's in the lake already. So well, a lot of the um, you know, people that live on water, um, you know, there's well, and, and we do it a lot. We, you know, we're talking about like um, excess runoff and people, it's something people don't really think about, you know, like, you know, talk to people about uh, hard coverage surface ratios and things. And they look at you like, what the heck are you talking about? But, you know, you think about the, all that when it was a field, everything just kind of settled right and then now you've got a roof well that water has to go somewhere and then the driveway water has to go somewhere and the road water has to go somewhere and yeah you have these storm ponds and things but um but you also see sometimes when it you know when we've had such wild weather that you see the water like running right over you know like in our out in front on our street you'll see the water sometimes and it's just flying right over the the storm drains you know it's coming so fast that yeah some of it's dropping in but it's just going past and then the amount of excess erosion you know whether it's gravel from the edges or you know the fronts of somebody's yard and everything and so then you're left with this sort of dune of you know sediment dunes on the road and things and so i i when you when you were talking about that uh last year i kept thinking i was thinking more like a pond pond you know, like a, like a koi pond type thing or not, a, not a koi pond, but that like you have lily pads. Yeah, yeah. Like a water feature. Yep. So. Yeah. yeah. The way they're designed is, uh, and a lot of times we'll put in well-draining soil in there ahead of time. And we'll dig out a couple of foot deeper, and put well-draining soil in there. Um, yeah. It's really just, it's designed not to really, well, it's designed to catch water, but then let the water percolate back in the ground. Um, and every year you have more and more of the roots that die on the plants and they put new roots out, it starts filtering better and better every year. So it's something that grows onto itself and keeps getting better and better and holding and taking more water in and doing everything. So really- So it's really actually, it actually gets better. Like so much of landscaping, you know, if you don't do it right, it, like the trees, for example, or the blue, like you mentioned, like the blue spruce, like it looks fabulous for a while. And then all of a sudden starts to kind of wait, you know, the, the, uh, uh, functionality, the beauty of it starts to wane because you, you screwed up. Like I mentioned, like the arbovitas, you know, sometimes you'll come in and those things all, you know, those real tall ones, they got a root system. They see people tying chains around them and trying to yank them out because they're too close to the house and they're pushing the shingles up or the siding up. And, and so what you're saying with the, with the pond or with the collection is that it's, it actually gets the grain garden. It's, it's, better over time it's not something that it's it doesn't have a, sh- a shelf life where you're going to have to come come in and rip it all out and redo it if you do it correctly is that exactly yeah. it, it, it maintains itself yeah they uh a really good example is they did a plant community out in burnsville i think it was like 2001 2002 where the whole community goes into rain gardens it's absolutely beautiful to see you can type in burnsville rain garden it'll tell you exactly where they're at but uh yeah those just keep getting better and better and you know, the research, these are all set up just for research purposes more than anything and to help the environment. But yeah, the water coming out of the rain garden um, or coming out of the rain garden, they say is uh, there's less chemicals in it than your tap water um, in there. It's just all naturally being filtered. So cool. kind of a cool way to do it. You mentioned that one of the things that you like to do in those is natives. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between, na- I, I forgot what you call, I, I, I meant to jot it down and we were, I was trying to listen and, you know, as opposed to natives, what was the alternative? What did, what, well, models, did you- are, models are hybrids. Models. Okay. Yeah. And so maybe talk about the benefits of natives as opposed to 
you know, bring give it a maybe give an example of like what are really popular models that you you prefer to see people maybe shy away from and as and move towards something else in the native category. Sure, um, echinacea is the perfect one. Um, or your purple coneflower, um, pale purple coneflower is a native here. There's a couple of natives, but that one in particular is very very hardy. Um, a lot of the hybrid models that you can get you can get purple coneflower, red, yellow, white green, green with a red center. I mean, there's hundreds of varieties of echinacea, but what they did is the native one is a lot tougher, a lot stronger. They take it, they blend it with other plants and try to do it. And one of the things they did a lot with uh, some of the model ones is they shrink the amount of root mass that's needed on them. So the plants aren't rooting down as deeply um, by hybrid them, which is great when they're in a pot for the garden centers, um, but not so great when they go out into the landscape. I mean, some of our model varieties, we can leave in the pots for three, four years before you have to worry about sunning them. Where when you do that with natives, they start going downhill after one season just because their root mass is starting to get so jammed up in that pot that a lot of times we have to divide those halfway through the summer because we can't keep enough moisture there because the roots are so big. So yeah, they're just, they're, you know, whenever you try to make something out of what nature created um, and you're trying to make something different out of it, you're really not doing that plant any benefit other than you can get different colors and, you know, being a designer, I love all the different colors I could use, but I also want something that's going to last and keep growing it and better and better every year for the homeowner. So I'll use a lot of natives. And the other thing with it too, is a lot of times with the natives, they're still producing, they're naturally producing pollen for the butterflies, for the bees, stuff like that, to where a lot of these model varieties, they've lost the fragrance, they've lost some of the pollen count. Um, so they're just not really, they're plants that are aesthetically beautiful, but not necessarily better for the environment. Got it. Okay. And that's a nice segue because we, you were starting to get into butterfly gardens and things. So is that, is that something that you see as a, as a real popular trend right now or something that people are kind of moving towards? Well, that's, it's a really big trend. Um, and when it's not a trend, I still put butterfly attractors into the yard because uh, it's a big, big uh, thing to me. Um, you know, there's some really big studies out there that, you know, we've lost, you know, the, the patched or uh, woolly patched uh, bumblebee is now endangered. And that's the one that is like 80% of our blueberry production. I love blueberries, but, you know, blueberries are starting to get harder and harder to find just because we're not a pollen source for them. So, I mean, that's what I like a lot about it is that, you know, people are really concerned about the environment. You know, edible landscapes are big for a while. They're not that big anymore, but, uh, the butterfly gardens have kind of taken that whole place because people know without butterflies, without bees, you know, things are going to get harder to find. You know, I think it's like 70% of all plants are, are pollinated by butterfly, bees, or hummingbirds. Okay. I mean, there's a wind and stuff like that, but the majority of it is all done by little insects. So we need those guys around to keep getting things. Honeybees are the only, only, um, only insect that will pollinate an almond tree. So, you know, for us to get almonds, we need the honeybee out there. Um, you know, we keep doing things to get rid of them, then we're not going to have those anymore either. So, well, and especially with the trend towards, you know, almond, uh, almond, you know, liquid or almond milk, but it's not really milk, but I mean, but almond drinks um, with the popularity, it sort of, it starts to really, put, I would imagine, put a lot of stressors on that. 
Um, and and I have to ask, because hopefully this doesn't sound like too dumb of a question, but remember, instead of in biology class, I was swinging uh, machetes. So <laughs> is, there, is there a distinction um, that plants that are more advent, I mean, are the same plants that are beneficial to butterflies beneficial to bees, or is there a preference one way or the other, something that's more bee friendly as opposed to maybe butterfly friendly, or are they pretty much all the same? They're pretty much all the same. There's there's some plants that like, uh, there's a plant called butterfly weed or uh, Asclepius is a scientific name. Well, Asclepius tuberosa is one variety that the monarchs absolutely love. It's their favorite nectar source for the butterfly. The, the, the incarnatus, the, which is another butterfly weed, is uh, the favorite food source for the caterpillar. So the caterpillar eats this one and then goes to the other one. And that's just for monarchs. Um, Bees will go to it a little bit, but mostly you're going to see monarchs or admiral butterflies on those. So there is some things, and there's different plants that attract different kind of butterflies or different kind of bees. Um, like bumblebees prefer tubular flowers, bigger flowers, um, to where some of your bees are going to like more open flowers they just land on and they don't have to go into inside anything. So, um, so there is some preferences, but most of the time if it's going to attract a butterfly, it's going to attract a bee too, um, of some sorts anyhow. Okay. So short of uh, going out to the ARB and getting involved in a master gardening program, this is all, this kind of information's readily available through your staff. If somebody were to go to the garden center and you basically said you had an outcome, they would be able to um, advise you on the plants that would be most advantageous for bees, butterflies, and hummingbirds. Yeah, they, they'd definitely be able to help you with that for sure. Um, the other thing is you can also just go to our website. If you're not a people person, don't want to talk to people, just go to our website under resources. We have a plant finder. You can click butterfly, you can click bee, and it'll list the plants that we carry that attract butterflies and bees. Um, so you can build your own list or just come out and ask to um, whichever one, whichever one makes you feel more comfortable. Okay, fair enough. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about hostas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of the ubiquitous uh, border, you know, plant in all of the western suburbs. Um, yeah. You know, are they? Uh, is it an advantageous plant? I mean, obviously, I think my dad always laughed. You know, he's like, you could pour gas on them and they'll still come back. So, I mean, they're kind of for the person. I think I mentioned in the show, like landscape tips for the person who doesn't have a green thumb. Um, yeah. That's that's a perfect plant. That and daylilies are a perfect plant. I would though with hostas, I see this a lot. Hostas, there's some varieties of hostas that like shade, some that like some shade, and some that like full sun. And I see a lot of times people put these hostas out in full sun that aren't the varieties for full sun. And they never they look okay, but then some of them start to burn up and turn ugly looking. You know, so make sure if you're gonna just pick hostas, you know, pick one that you like the looks of. There's, there's I think it's like over 460 varieties that are hardy now in Minnesota. Um, wow. so take a look at them, see which ones you like, and then just make sure you're picking it for the right location. Um, so you're not putting a shade one in the full sun, the, sh the full sun ones will handle shade. So if you've got a shady situation, you know, you're pretty much safe with any hosta, but if you got a sunny area, just be really careful and look at the tags or ask. Okay. All right. And then, uh, last thing, my, my mom is going to listen to this and it's sort of an inside family joke. My dad loved ferns. And my mom hates ferns. And so after my dad passed away, she wanted the ferns out of the garden. They were kind of a, they were sort of around the, um, they had a rose garden. And then the, there were, it was a, there was like a drop layer and then there were ferns. And so I brought the, I dug the ferns and I brought them home and I have dad's ferns in my backyard. 
Um, but every, and then I have a bunch of volunteer ferns. I have hostas along the side of my house and I have a bunch of volunteer ferns that just kind of keep popping up. And, you know, by early in June, you know, they're, they're huge. And oh. I think, oh, I, I need to transplant these back. I could, they'd be great in front of a window. And every year I move them and they look great for about, you know, three weeks. And oh. then, <laughs> so what's the key with ferns, whether you're moving them or planting them, or, I mean, what, how do you really get them to thrive in a, because it's a shady area. I mean, th in oh. theory, they should do well. And I imagine you're in clay soil because that happens in clay soil quite a bit. The best thing, the best thing I found for ferns is mixing in peat moss. Um, peat moss will help hold the moisture higher, but it also allows for the ferns to root in easier. Um, so I always do a little bit heavier on the peat moss. So I'll do like a half peat moss, half existing soil, and then I'll dig the hole twice the size of the pot, and then backfill with that. And it really helps to keep that get that fern established. And once it's established, they can start fighting with the clay soils. Okay, yeah, because I. We've got the same clay on the side of the house and those damn things come up every year and I'm in there, you know. <laughs> yeah. ferns, ferns take a bit just because until they get established, just because they, they have more fibrous little root hairs. So when you're transplanting, you're losing a lot of the root mass. Um, so that's why the peat moss works really well for them. So if you're transplanting, then how, how should you, I mean, should you be going like just extra, extra wide to try to maintain as much of that? Or is that kind of a loss cost? I'd probably say at least six inches bigger than the root mass all the way around. So, and then mix the peat moss and the so existing soil back into the hole. All right. Well, I appreciate the, you and all of any listeners that are still on indulging me while I'm asking my personal landscaping questions. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think, I mean, I don't think we're doing anything that's that exotic, that it's not what a lot of other people are, are doing and, and thinking about. So, nope. um, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to get off your chest here in terms of, uh, of uh, you know, from a landscaping standpoint or things that uh, people should be looking out for? Is this, is this going to be a, I mean, you mentioned this good season. Are there any plants that it's like, is there anything like if you want these, you better act early because for whatever reason, there's going to be a, a back, uh, a shortfall coming. Bigger trees. Yeah, bigger if you want to get, if you want to get bigger trees and have wide variety of bigger trees, try to get them really early in the season and get them out and put them in your yard. We're starting to see shortages on the larger stuff because record sales two years in a row. I mean, we were up this last year and I haven't had a chance to sit down and really figure exactly what, how much we were up for the year before, but the year before that sales were up 72%. Um, and we were up over that last year. So all the bigger stuff, it takes, you know, five, seven years for some of those trees to get to that size. We're going to see shortages for those probably the next, three years, three to four years on larger trees, um, just so they can get more supplies up there. Um, again, That's like I said, ever, evergreens and deciduous or, or evergreens and deciduous, the okay. bigger varieties of the common ones are gone. Um, but there's, you know, there's other varieties. There's like autumn blaze maple and Northwoods maple. Autumn blaze grows two to four inches more a year than the Northwoods maple, but autumn blaze are, you know, pretty much sold out already for this year. So, so there's, there's substitutes that are really close to it. And, you know, Christmas trees too, this is a long ways away for you, but I want to start talking to people about it now. Get your Christmas, get your Christmas trees the day they come in. Um, you know, those are what we're going to see the huge shortages on. I mean, we showed a little bit of shortages, but some of my competitors got a tenth of the number of trees they had, they sold the year before because they weren't available. Um, a lot of my competitors sold out on, competitors and friends sold out 
the first weekend after Thanksgiving of Christmas trees. Well, they missed three more weeks of good sales just because they couldn't get them. You know, it's sure. uh, we were lucky. We've been with the same company for what now, 15 years, 16, uh, probably, probably 17 years. We went the same company and he came through for us, but he didn't come through for a bunch of his other companies, but he's like, you guys stayed loyal to me. So I'm going to stay loyal to you guys all this time. So we got lucky, um, but we still ran out of trees because um, everyone else ran out of trees. So, wow. you know, any kind of anything tree wise, you know, that's what I'd be trying to really get early in the season from, you know, that or as early as you can on Christmas trees because we're going to see shortages on those for the next three to four years. Well, so much of the new construction that's happening now, you know, there, you, there aren't a lot of like wooded tracks that are left. And, you know, a lot of the neighborhoods are going in are basically, you know, what were formerly cornfields and things. Um, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, people were into some of these um, uh, hybrids that were supposedly fast growing. I'm thinking about in terms of like cottonless cottonwoods. Um, how did, you know, it, that was a big deal, I don't know, maybe what, 15, 20 years ago, how have they aged? Have they, you, you said sometimes when you start tweaking with mother nature, um, you, you end up with a less than favorable result now that they're, you know, and, but at the time the thing was, Hey, these things will grow like crazy. You know, you're going to have kind of instant shade or you're going to have shade much quicker than you would if you went with a more traditional route. How have those things, those high, those types of varieties, how have they aged? Um, we're starting to see problems with some of those varieties. Um, Elms, Elm was a big one where they came out with a bunch of like supposedly Dutch resistant, um, Dutch Elm yeah. resistance to them. <laughs> and we found out that they were at first, but then they started, they started losing that ability. Some of the ones we thought were, um, resistant ended up showing up with the symptoms of Dutch Elm disease. So, um, you know, a lot of it's time, just like I was talking about with the Colorado blue spruces, you know, that was a modified blue spruce, modified to be a blue spruce. We loved them. Excuse <coughs> me. We used a bunch of them and then started to die off and we can't do anything about it because it's too late now. So, yeah, I mean, you always got to wonder about that um, when they come out with a new variety, how hardy it's going to be. Um, you know, I used when Bloomstruck, which was a hydrangea variety, first came out, it was all the rave. I mean, we, uh, we got 50 at the garden center here and we were one of like probably 15 companies that had 50 the first year. And when they came in, we had a line of people that bought these things right off the truck. We didn't even put them on the ground. They were, you know, pricing them, grabbing them, taking them inside and getting them. Um, so they never hit our lot, but the, the next, next spring, none of them performed very well at all. Um, mm -hmm. they just didn't have the bloom power because they had died back so much from the winter, winter damage to them. They have improved that variety now since the variety is a little bit better. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was right rave. They spent $14 million in marketing before they released it. A Minnesota company brought, made them. They released them all. Then the first year was a huge flop. So and we started calling it endless, endless bummer. That's what it was. Um, endless summer, endless bummer. So, uh, okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Um, I, I, I want to be respectful of your time here. We've been going for quite a while and you've been just, a, you've been fantastic. I think hopefully anybody, even an idiot like me have gotten a lot out of this in terms of, uh, you know, just some practical advice that you can use. And, um, and then of course, if you, if you're not inclined or you're a little gun shy, you know, you can always garden centers open all the time, pretty much. Right. Yep. Pretty much. All right. Well, Corey, thank you. Um, is there anything else? Is there anything, any takeaway, any last thing that you want to share with people that are listening that are local or? 
let's have a great season. Um, let's get out there, get some plants in the yard and make everything look a little more beautiful. And uh, in the meantime, help out the environment while we can. All right. Terrific. I'm going to stop recording here. Thanks again.